0: And there is this stigma that a lot of litigating lawyers want to fuel the fire because their clock is still running and they make more money on that.
1: One of the great things about being a collaborative divorce attorney is getting to work with other fabulous divorce attorneys who are also committed to helping families find resolution in non-traditional, non-litigation ways. It is such a privilege for me today to get to welcome Camille Milner. Camille is the owner of S. Camille Milner Law Firm, which is located in Denton, and she practices in the Denton and surrounding counties. Camille, thank you so much for taking time to come and talk with me today. Day about collaborative divorce. Thank you for having me Jennifer. One of the first questions I want to ask you is how did you find out about collaborative divorce? Well it sort of found me.
0: Uh, I have been doing this for about 36 years didn't start out in family law but eventually family law found me because there were people that needed my what seemed to be my skill set. But all the years that I did family law until collaborative came, It was basically a court system and every single time I took a family to court and had their division through the court system I had this feeling that court is not a good fit for a family a family divorce or any sort of a family law resolution of a case. How did you learn about collaborative divorce? Well um, Stu Webb the man that created it came to Denton to do a training in 19 I believe 99 And I had not yet taken the board certification test, so I wasn't invited, but I heard about it. And I got my dander up, and so the next year I took that board certification test to become board certified in family law because I wasn't ever going to be left out from under the tent (laughs) again. And as soon as I dug in and learned more about collaborative law, it was as if it were a kid glove that had been cut by a pattern and sewn just for me. It had been what I had been looking for my entire life. A way to work through the legal system, but have a heart for what the emotional side is that families
1: and their children are going through. And collaborative is a perfect fit for that. One of the things I know that we love about collaborative divorce is its focus on helping families find resolution instead yes. of exacerbating the problems. Right. Um, you belong yes. to a practice group. Is that right? I do. It's the Collaborative Divorce Denton County Practice Group. In fact, you brought a book that um, the, the, the group has put together. It's a tremendous resource on yes. helping families in the divorce process. Yes. What do you find to be the biggest benefit for your clients who choose to go through the collaborative divorce process?
0: Well, that could be a really long all-day conversation, which is, by the way, one of my frustrations because when people drive down I-35 to Dallas, they'll see a billboard that is bankruptcy, divorce, or DWI. And that has a brand that they immediately know. Collaborative divorce is a longer conversation, and the benefits are limitless. I'll, by way of example, uh, I'll, I'll tell you about a family in just a few minutes, but, but one of the primary benefits is privacy, one of the other benefits is control, and really my favorite, the others are very important, but my favorite, because I've got a couple of cases right now that that weren't opted in for collaborative, and I get, at for 36 years, very impatient <laughs> with the inefficiency. In a collaborative case, you have neutral professionals in addition to each side having their own lawyer. And with the collaborative professional that deals with the communication and the family issues, this is somebody that has at least a master's degree and licensure from the state of Texas to be a mental health professional. Now, they have that licensure, but they're not doing therapy in the room. What they're bringing to the table is their skill set to help people understand communication skills that will keep the negotiations going. Because if there's ever a no, that stops negotiations cold. So what they train these people to do is say, well, I can't really do that, but how about this? And so we continue evolving what the options might be until these people come up with an option that they find satisfactory. And that may be on the the children's issues or the other professional that's the neutral in the room is the financial professional, and that person It's just a wealth of knowledge that they give this family. They help them compile a joint inventory of all their assets and all their liabilities, and then they help them learn how to do a post-divorce budget so that not only are they going to resolve their case in a few months, but they will be on solid ground to start their future for themselves and
1: their children in a very financially healthy way. I love how when you, you mentioned when you found collaborative it was like finding a pair of kid gloves and and I think for families it really is a way to uniquely tailor the solution to their family. It's not a one size fits all solution like you get at the courthouse. Right? Absolutely. And sometimes I feel the tendency
0: to pick on judges and get frustrated with them because they they but, but then when I think about it, that's really unfair. They have maybe four hours to learn all about this family and all the details of their assets and liabilities, that's beyond human. No one can do that. And so I think the judges should be our greatest supporters because we lower the number of cases that they have to hear. And that way, their time can be limited to the ones that are just impossible to resolve any other way.
1: So often, one of the great benefits of collaborative really comes after the collaborative divorce case is over, too, because um, we don't have to keep going back to to take up the judge's time. Another reason the judges should be supporting it, right?
0: What I have found, um, and Austin does this a little bit different than the North Texas area, but in the North Texas area, we don't even usually have to have the client sign a collaborative agreement a settlement agreement like a mediation agreement because by the time they get to the point that they're ready to say we're good they have worked through all the options and all the possible consequences of each of those options to where they may come back in a couple of weeks after they've reached an agreement after we've done the decree and they may want to tweak a couple of little things but it's usually a durable agreement that will last often to the kids are grown and then beyond and if i can just add that one piece One of the things that some of our collaborative clients do is send a letter to extended family and friends and say we want you all to know we are still a family we're working through this as adults and together with compassion and respect and we don't want you to ever feel like you have to take a side please don't ever say anything bad about the other person to anybody or to us or to our children certainly not in the presence of our children and we want our relationships with you to go forward after this is over and I have had clients that actually said can we send a letter like that out to our family and friends and they said when their family and friends got it they said this huge sigh of relief came on them because they knew the relationships could be protected and preserved and that meant
1: just a great deal it, it is so important, especially um, for the children and the extended family and cousins and aunts and uncles. I, I know how important that is. Because they're gonna have times that they have to get together, whether it's
0: uh, weddings, uh, receptions for engagements, graduations, and sadly, even funerals. And I know of one family who was so estranged, it was obviously not a collaborative divorce, and when their child was killed in a car wreck, the Mother's house was where everybody gathered and the father's family and the father were put out on the patio. They weren't even allowed to come into the house. And I mean, that's just heartbreaking. And of course that family will never be reconciled. Never. It's just just a, and it's gonna be for generations that those kids have been um, wounded
1: and scarred by that. You know, you raise an interesting point because one of the things that we know is how a contentious divorce impacts not just the parents going through the divorce, but it does carry on in the children and it will impact their um, ideas about marriage and family and their ability to have successful relationships in the future.
0: One of the things I say to my clients is this may be your greatest teaching moment. A lot of people get so they succumb to their own pain to the point that they forget that. But this is one of the greatest opportunities of their lives. Sadly, statistically, half of the people that get divorced will be or get married will be divorced. So if parents can show their children how to do this compassionately and respectfully, and some people say even lovingly for a transition like this, then it's much more likely their kids won't be spooked by marriage and if they get married, their relationships will be healthier because the parents modeled that for them.
1: One of the benefits you um, stated right at the beginning was privacy, and you know, I think it's interesting people don't realize that courts are a public forum, and right now, even though everything is pretty much shut down, I mean, people aren't going to in-person court most of the time. There are some hearings that are happening. The cases are being broadcast on YouTube. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There is no privacy and it's worse now than ever. I mean, the entire divorce system is nothing other than the Kardashians real life program now that it's on YouTube. I mean, it really is heartbreaking and it's heartbreaking because people don't realize what they're giving up by... Going into the court system for the judge to make decisions for them rather than themselves.
1: Exactly. I mean, it is important. It's an important tenet of our uh, of our legal system that the courtrooms are public. But you know, it was one thing when people had to drive to the courthouse and find parking and actually go in and sit in a courtroom, right. and now you can in your living room tune in yes. on YouTube. And so, in a town
0: like the size of Denton, where uh, there are still it's it's Denton has gotten very much larger, but a lot of people still know each other, and so any way that your dirty laundry is thrown out in court the public can know and i mean your children may know they may hear about it at school
1: from their friends who heard about
0: it from their parents and it's also unnecessary.
1: It really is. And, and so people may not know, but in collaborative, we are meeting in private sessions that there is no court reporter, there is right. no judge. And in fact, the whole process is actually protected. Yes. Um, which brings me to the next point that you and I were discussing, which is some of the popular myths about collaborative divorce. And we've just talked about the benefits. It sounds awesome. Why isn't everybody doing it? And and we ask ourselves the same question. But we do know that there are some common misunderstandings about the collaborative divorce process. Right. So I want to ask you to share with us, uh, you know, some of your your favorite myths that you hear because we're going to be MythBusters. Today. Okay, great
0: <laughs> MythBusters. Well, one of the most common misconceptions are, I think, sadly, in the public domain by lawyers and maybe clients that don't know any different is that if you go into a collaborative process and it doesn't work, you have to leave the process, get new lawyers, and start all over. Well, that's just not true at all. You want to go into the collaborative process with a lawyer and with professionals that are very well trained and experienced because people that just do this because it's available in the statute with no training or experience yeah sometimes those cases are gonna opt out because it's not done correctly it's not done with the support that truly experienced and trained collaborative professionals can offer when we're able to do that i mean the people that i know the people that are in the practice groups that i know the number of cases that opt out are very very small and it's usually when the clients often want to go into it even if the lawyers and the professionals are saying i'm not sure this is a good fit for you but i've actually had some that said no we can do this and sometimes they're able to and sometimes not. If there's a personality disorder, one of the things that I have seen with people that have borderline personality disorder is those are folks that sometimes can never make a decision for whatever reason, and I, I won't go into the psychology <laughs> of it. I've, I'm familiar with some of it, but I'm not an expert on that. Those people may be that narrow, that narrow group that have to have a judge decide. And it's probably something within their core that keeps them from being confident in what they're deciding. They're always afraid there's going to be something left on the table. Or if there is untreated alcoholism or other addictions or um, severe depression that's untreated. Now all of those can be managed and I've had collaborative cases with all of those issues and they've been managed and gone through very well. And then finally one that is problematic is when there's family violence. Um, but that, again, can be managed. Ours is the only process in Texas where we have a mandate to inquire about family violence before we can enter into the collaborative process, and we are mandated to ask them if it's occurred and if there are reasonable ways that they can help us think of to protect them. Even something as, as unrecognizable as a wink from the client who was the victim to their lawyer saying the other person is doing the thing that they, no one else sees, but it's an intimidation technique that they have on me. And and I will just quote one of our dear friends who is now deceased and one of our pioneers in collaborative law, and that's Gay Cox. And when we were developing uh, in 2011, there was what's called the Uniform Collaborative Law Act, which is uh a group across the country that tries to make all the states' laws uniform, and Texas was adopting that and adapting it for Texas. And there was a big discussion about the family violence question and whether or not the um, the family violence victims' lobby would support us because we're not at the courthouse, we don't have sheriff's deputies at the door and our group met with chris algert one of our leaders in austin met with the collaborative or excuse me with the family violence lobby and what they developed is just incredible we have a screening tool that we go through and so we know what's going on whereas i'm venturing to guess this is not in any other type of law that goes into the courthouse so our good friend gay cox who i said is is deceased She was a big proponent of that because she said she had a case where a lady client said I want to go into collaborative and she had reservations about it because she'd been a victim of family violence. And the lady said, you don't understand. This is the only way I will survive. If we go to court, it will heighten his animosity toward me and he will kill me and possibly our children. That's very chilling to me.
1: It is very chilling and I think you know it just um, brings home the fact that when we're not in a collaborative arena when we're in a litigation more of a traditional arena um, oftentimes it just exacerbates and heightens the co- the levels of conflict right. to to a dangerous level.
0: It does And
1: I think you know not not every attorney is trained to deal with some of these very difficult issues in collaborative. Uh, but some are, and some do an amazing job. Yes, and I think we need to keep an open mind because it can be—it can be the resource for people, even in very difficult marriages, yes. as we bring it to an end. Yes, um, and
0: that goes to one of the fundamental differences: the court system is what is called position-based, and it's. The, you know, in every in every system there are rules, and in the court system there has to be, it may not be called declared winner and loser, but that's in effect what it is, and the only way to prevail is you get up and you say the worst things and bring up the worst evidence evidence against the other side so that you get what you want. Right. Well, it destroys families, in my opinion, and in collaborative it is interest-based which was developed by the Harvard Negotiation Project um, and it's it's a whole, different, a whole different system where what both clients look at is what are their goals and interests and somehow when we work together we seem to be able to meet almost all their goals and interests, they may be adjusted a little bit, but at the end of the day, no one's going to leave a collaborative meeting or collaborative case without an agreement because if they don't agree, they don't have to stay in it. So they've got ultimate control and it's just a function of their creativity and their willingness to continue looking and thinking and listening and talking.
1: I think the, the question I, I always ask is what do you want your focus to be? Do you want it to be on the past and all the bad things that were done where you both try and smear each other? Or do you want your focus to be on building your future?
0: Yes. Right? Yes.
1: Um, okay, so you said that the myth is that you have to withdraw, or we, you know, you have to, if it doesn't settle, then the whole process just goes out the window. There is a truth in that, in that um, and, and we can talk, I think it is important to talk about that. That parties and collaborative, they don't get to threaten to just go down to the courthouse. Right. We all make a commitment, right. um, the parties and the attorneys and the other professionals, that we are here to help them resolve it in the collaborative process. And, and what is that really designed to do? Why do we make that commitment?
0: Well, it's a couple of different things. Um, I'm gonna date myself when I talk about LA Law, the program from the 80s, where it was the... That's why I went to law school. <laughs> <laughs> from, because of Arnie Becker in LA Law. And, and there is this stigma that a lot of litigating lawyers want to fuel the fire because their clock is still running and they make more money on that. I personally don't think family lawyers have ever been that way, but there is that stigma. And so what the collaborative process, by having that disqualification provision in there, does is it takes that incentive away from keeping the fire going. If we, If we start threatening and end the collaborative case, we lose our jobs. And if we are trained in how to help them problem-solve and resolve their issues without court, there's not any reason why that should happen. So the clients are not allowed to threaten to go to court or to go to court for anything, and the lawyers are not. And so what that ends up meaning is that sometimes when things, and, and what really, what really, um, I'm not gonna say amuses me, but I find interesting, is is a lot of even our colleagues and judges think, this is just a tea party where we sit around and nice and nice and kumbaya. This is very difficult work. Emotions get heightened. Um, But what happens is because we have a trained mental health professional in the room who is a communications expert, they're, they're there and help us manage those emotions because you're always going to have emotions and when people get shot, it's because those emotions have, have just been like a volcano, whereas they can be managed. And so what happens in the collaborative process is sometimes when we're doing this really hard work because these are difficult questions, we have to take a break and it may be five minutes, maybe 15, maybe a day, maybe a week. But inevitably, when we take that break, everybody sort of decompresses, calms down, and then we come back with a fresh mind, and we're able to work through those difficult questions with a, a fresh start.
1: And it it almost always works. It does. So so it is true that the lawyers have to have to resign if the parties, in the unlikely event, and it is unlikely. I mean, I think right. the odds are. I, I, you know, that the, the case will end up settling. Right. Um, but the lawyers do have to resign if the, if the parties ultimately decide to go to litigation. And the other
0: reason for that is so that nothing that they have heard in the joint meetings can then be used against the other party. You want everybody to feel free to speak their truth, their heart, and know that it will be like in a mediation that no one will ever be able to, to use that against them later on.
1: So that collaborative commitment does two things. It makes sure everybody's invested in the process, and it also protects the clients um, and the integrity of of the process and what they're going through, because we do ask them to to come to the table with full disclosure. The reason why it's a myth is because, well, I mean, most cases don't ever opt out. It really doesn't become an issue. And collaborative professionals have so many tools in the toolbox. So it isn't just that if your case doesn't settle, you have to go to court. If your case doesn't settle, you can go to mediation. Right. If your case doesn't settle, you know, we can can bring in some other professionals to help work through the issues.
0: Right. And in the end, even when you have to do the mediation or bring in those other professionals, is almost always cheaper than a litigated case.
1: All right, so that brings us to our next <laughs> myth that collaborative divorce is more costly. Talk yes. to us about that one. All
0: right. Well, you and I both know, and everybody in our business knows, if you go to court, it's going to be expensive. I don't know exactly what it is in Dallas, but it wouldn't be unusual just if you go to court for the case to cost fifty to to $100,000. And that's for middle-class people, not people that have high wealth. Per side. Yes, it can be per side, and that's just oh my gosh! How many college educations would that help pay, um, or therapy for or the kids,
1: family vacations? I, mean, I always think there's a lot. There are a lot more fun ways to spend your money than spending it
0: There a are, and vacation. what really saddens me is when the there's that that connotation that the lawyers got all the money. And the lawyers aren't the ones that push this to trial. It's the clients that make that decision. Sometimes the other side is so unreasonable that your client may not feel like they have a choice, but still it's the clients that drive that. So one of the most inexpensive options, or maybe the most inexpensive option, is what is called kitchen table. And that's what a lot of people would like to do in a perfect world. But being that the world is what it is, Divorce decrees now if you have children and any property really to speak of at all are about 50 pages and that's not just lawyers trying to keep the clock running. That's because we don't want courts to have to continue to hear modifications and disputes between parents so the detail of the parenting time and who makes what decisions and uh Health insurance, all those details take about 25 to 30 pages. And that's all so that the clients will never have to darken the door of the courthouse again. We try to make it as specific as we can. So if you've got kids, it's very difficult to do a kitchen table agreement because people just, I mean... I don't know how to replace a toilet. So a plumber would probably not know how to do a divorce. That's just not something that's in most people's toolbox walking down the street. On the property part of it, if all you've got is couple of cars, maybe some bank accounts. It may be that you can sit down at the kitchen table and figure it out and then take your agreement to lawyers and let them do the paperwork on it. And that's fine. And we want everybody to do that if they would like to. And they can sometimes even do it completely on their own. And and that's great. But one of the things that I have seen that's so troubling is people get in the quicksand of their property agreements and they don't realize the complexity of it. For uh, the best example I can think of is in most middle to upper class people's lives now, their largest asset may be their retirement. Well, we have a whole expert named Rachel Paralisi, who is in the North Dallas area, that has spent 20 years working in benefits and has not only a law degree, but a Master of Laws degree in benefits. And what she minds and uncovers that are the distinctions we need to put in decrees so that people are getting what they think they're getting, is, it's amazing. I'm always just dazzled by her. And I know that a lot of lawyers that don't do collaborative work they kind of use a wide brush on the biggest assets and 20 years down the road, that can be a problem. And exactly. And selling their house, if they're doing that and they don't set up in the decree, who's going to pay the bills while it's selling, who's going to set the price, who's going to pay for the pay- repairs while it's selling. Again, all that can cause conflict later on down the road for which they will have to seek court intervention and additional cost. So what we do in the collaborative process is we have these two neutral professionals and we have an organizational meeting and then we send them off with those two neutrals and very often they come back with um, the inventory that we talked about and budgets and then the parenting plan already pretty much agreed to because they've worked with them off what we call offline and then we come back together and we iron out the details and is it going to be $2,500? No, but is it going to be a very great value to this family in so many ways beyond just the money? And one of my favorite financial professionals, Steve Walker, sometimes says, um, you know, people don't think nowadays uh, they don't give a second thought to going and spending twenty to $25,000 on a car. It's giving you security, your safe transportation, reliable transportation. And so when we think about if a collaborative case with all these bells and whistles for both sides together cost twenty to $25,000, but it resolved everything, you felt you never had to go back to court, and your kids are in good shape, and your extended family's in good shape, and you're in good shape, wow, that's a pretty good return on that investment.
1: I love that. That is great. Um, you know, what I'm thinking in my head as you're talking through that is the minefield of issues that people don't even know exist, like taxes and, you know, how do you tax effect? And the thing is, they, they don't need to know all of that. They're not supposed to have a law degree in right. the process. But when you're working with a team of advisors, you really get to explore all of those issues um, in, a, in a constructive way.
0: And, and sometimes between Rachel and Steve, for example, they bring up things just like what you're saying that might be issues in the finances or the retirement that the lawyers might not even think of because it may be a very specified issue or specific issue that, that only they, because they've happened to see it in another case, bring up. And that may open up a whole new set of possibilities that will help this set of clients.
1: That's great. Um, one more issue that I thought of was the fact that you, we kind of talked about this a little bit already, but that um, you know, collaborative is a kumbaya session. That it's you know, nice people do collaborative divorce. I can't do collaborative divorce because you know I hate my spouse or whatever. Um, and and. The truth is that it's a conflict resolution process, right? If you didn't have conflict, you would do the kitchen table divorce and right. it would be great.
0: Right. What is
1: your experience in working with people who, um, you know, maybe don't see eye to eye in the process, don't trust each other?
0: I, after doing this for 36 years, feel that the collaborative process, especially in the financial part, has even more integrity than litigation, and here's why. In litigation, we have something called discovery, and that's people know about depositions, a host of written questions, and document gathering is sent out. And frankly, because you're on opposite sides, to be honest, part of the deal is you hide the ball when you can. At least there's people we know that do that. You and I don't, I don't think, but there's people we know that do that. In the collaborative process, because you have a neutral financial professional, and these parties give them all the documents, Those financial professionals, if there's a hole in it by inadvertence or just overlooking it, they know the traps to run. And so we can bring all the documents together. And nowadays, unless somebody's got an offshore something or other or cash buried in the backyard, there's a paper trail. And so everyone can feel that there hasn't been any hiding the ball because everyone has sworn to do full disclosure. And with a neutral professional who has no dog in this fight, doesn't want to be on one side or the other, their job is to bring all the information to the table. The process has integrity that I trust even more than, than traditional discovery.
1: So often, I mean, we, we certainly don't expect divorcing spouses to trust each other per se, but when we're working with each other, colleagues who are committed to the process, we, you know, we trust each other because we work together on these things right. all the time. Right. And so there is there is trust built into the process, but we also know we need to verify.
0: Absolutely. So
1: we don't trust just for the sake of trust. It right. is, um, you know, we all have to have our eyes wide open and that's best for our clients. And, yes. and that's how we work.
0: And that's what having the Neutral Financial Professional and being able to show us all the documents. You know, we trust because we see
1: exactly I love that Camille I want to thank you so much for taking time to come and talk with me today about collaborative divorce I think this has been really helpful if people want to learn more information about your practice we'll include a link but can you tell us where they can find you
0: well do you want my website sure all right it's milner-law.com
1: okay and if they want to learn more about the collaborative divorce process, there's collaborativedivorceTexas.com. Yes. And what about the Denton Practice Group?
0: Well, can I do a yes. little plug for the book? Lawyers all over the state order these by the box fulls and we give them out to everybody. It's a wonderful little 57 page informative book, not just about the collaborative process, but about the other options. And because it's only 57 pages, it gives a thorough understanding to clients about what their options are. And it's not so long that it's overwhelming for clients that are in a really distressed period in their lives. So I I didn't touch it. I haven't written this. And so I feel like I can brag on it all day long and clients love it. And so if anybody would be interested in that, it's available on Amazon. And
1: it's $10, you said. For $10, you get 57 pages of important information about interests in the collaborative process. That's right. Excellent. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Jennifer.